0: Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. So welcome to another session from Disruptive HR. And today we're going to talk about employment policy.
1: Not the most exciting area of HR. No. um, But it is one of those moments that matter because it's often your employee handbook, for example, is one of the first pieces of communication you receive as a new employee. So it does matter. Where are we getting it wrong?
0: I think we mainly get it wrong in that we have a number of assumptions that underpin our approach to policymaking. And those assumptions tend to be that the role of employment policy is to protect the organisation from the worst offending employees. Mm. Even though, as we know, the vast majority of employees are actually gonna behave fairly decently, they come to work to do a decent job. We will have some people that will behave badly. But what we tend to do with employment policy is we take what those small number of employees are doing in terms of behaving badly, and we design rules and policies around them, and then we apply it to the whole organisation. And that undertone of, we don't really trust you to behave well, so we've got to protect ourselves from you in case you behave badly, is really very symptomatic of what we see most employment policies are doing. We also see, though, employment policies with just too much explanation, mm. you know, defining things, you know, dress code, et cetera, you know, this kind of idea that we have to, dis- we can't just say that uh, we want you to dress appropriately and you will know what that looks like. We have to give exact examples yeah, yeah. of what dressing appropriately looks like. So I think those two assumptions, the two underpinning motivations behind employment policy are what's wrong with them in that they say we don't trust you to behave well and we don't trust you to use your judgment as an adult and I think as a result what we get is a kind of passive compliant workforce that are waiting to be told what to do are scared of using their judgment in case they get it wrong and it creates a frustrating atmosphere for a lot of people. Mm.
1: And I guess for line managers as well, because they're so reliant, because the policies are often so complicated, they can't work without HR. They kind of need somebody from HR to be able to explain every kind of paragraph to And, them. and it's
0: why we end up with daily large numbers of questions from line managers yeah. about, can I do this? Can yeah. I do that? A lot of the time it isn't a technical issue, where ex- HR expertise might be really important, it tends to be a judgment issue. Mm. And a lot of the time we end up providing them with answers rather than encouraging them to use their, mm. their judgment, which keeps us in that place,
1: doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, we, we are then the compliance officer, <laughs> the police, the kind of the rules keeper, which is not very attractive, is it?
0: No, and it also keeps us from doing stuff that we might we actually be find doing. useful. Um, Instead of thinking about how do we create the conditions where people can be more agile and productive and innovative. Instead, we are the keeper of the rules, the nursemaid, which is just, I think, really unhealthy for HR.
1: So what should we do? What's the what's the new way? So
0: we're seeing a real shift. Uh, finally, in employment policy, of course, you've got to have certain things that keep you safe, and you've got to make sure that you're behaving in a legal way, and that you're not, uh, you know, creating anarchy and chaos. You know, it's not a hippie commune you're running; uh, it is an organisation. So, uh, there's got to be some guidance. But what we're seeing is much lighter touch. Yeah. Instead of it being the minutiae that's explained, you know, you can do this, but not that, only on a Tuesday, only after four o'clock. It tends to focus on the outcome that you're looking for. Netflix call this freedom within a framework. Mm. So there is a framework there, but it tends to have um, one statement rather than loads and loads of minutiae. Classic examples would be the Netflix um, expenses policy, do the right thing by Netflix or legal and general, their approach to dress code, uh, dress for your day, or um, social media policies, things like Gap, Intel, Ford. Their approach to social media policies is play nice, use common sense, and if you get it wrong, apologise and take it Mm.
1: down. So what you're saying is to maybe look through the policies you've got at the moment and see if you could replace some of those with just a statement.
0: Yeah and and look at those that had been written with the assumption that we don't trust adults yeah. don't trust our employees to behave yeah. as adults or
1: our managers to yeah. make good judgment
0: yeah and we can really try and encourage leaders to use their judgment, you know, by the way our policies are written. So uh, if you think about Unilever's approach to flexible working, you know, what they found was was that line managers were resistant to to allow people to work flexibly. And instead, having a starting point of every job can be done Mm. flexibly kind of stimulated line managers to think how can I do this in a flexible way how Mm. can I work with this employee in a different way rather than trying to prescribe everything so actively encourage people by withholding the detail and having a different starting point like every job can be done flexibly. How do you get started? I think we just need to be really careful that we don't go too big too early Mm. you know you're not going to rip up your health and safety policy or uh, do something that's going to expose your organization to financial risk or reputational risk you know we don't pilot enough in uh, HR I think we need to start small start in an area that uh, if it goes wrong it isn't going to matter too much so um Often give the example of uh, when we were at the BBC, we piloted "Take as much annual leave as you want" in the Natural History Unit, and the reason we chose the Natural History Unit was that it was small; it was only two hundred and fifty people. Uh, the The manager there, a guy called Andrew, you know, he he was not kind of the most sophisticated, brilliant leader, but he got it, and he was curious and he was open, and so you kind of go where the energy is, and if it had gone wrong, it wouldn't have been like doing it in news, for example, where they may well have, uh, you know, it might have got to the press and because they're all very well connected in news with uh, national newspapers. So it was a way of containing it mm. and and trying something out. Now, in the end, we decided not to roll it out for, for other operational reasons, but it was a way of just trying something mm. in a safe space mm. and You know, if we're going to be pioneering and progressive in HR, we have to be capable and allowed and be given the space to get things wrong. And so piloting and experimenting, I think, particularly with new approaches to rules is 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 a really is a yeah, a safe, agile way of Mm. of trying this stuff out.
1: What about um, involving your people in the maybe the rules that frustrate them
0: yeah so we we've seen uh, organizations rather than hr determining which are the rules that perhaps need looking at instead you've got uh examples like td bank so td bank what they did was they asked their people which are the rules and policies that get in the way of you wowing customers Mm. they called it kill a stupid bank rule And, you know, we've tried this in organisations, haven't we, where we said, which are the rules and policies that just frustrate you or prevent you from doing your best work? And what we find is that typically the things that come up aren't necessarily earth shattering, but they're just small tweaks that you can make that give people perhaps a greater degree of autonomy to be able to respond more to customer needs.
1: So what about, you know, we've got the the, the HR people who are kind of up for this, they want to make the changes, but they're saying, my managers just won't use their judgment.
0: Yeah, And, and I think first up, you kind of need to establish why. Why are they coming to you as an HR professional and asking what would appear to be, in some cases, slightly stupid questions? You know, and I think it comes down to three types of line manager. You've got the ones that are too scared to make their, the right you know, to make a, a judge a decision for themselves. in which case you can support them and we'll come back to this in a minute, but you can support them to get to a place where they are more confident. Secondly, it's just that they don't know in which case you provide them with the intelligence understanding so that next time they can make the decision for themselves and then you get the ones that don't want to. That are reluctant to take on any responsibility. And unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do with people like that, you know. And we have to accept that there are certain line managers that we are never going to progress to being great line managers. And we kind of just need to ignore them. And we need to just try to move away from getting them to a place where they're like the better ones. So we're compensating for them by providing too many rules and regulations. Um, with the example that I gave of the first one, which is that they don't have the confidence to do it, there's a technique that uh, we've used and that can be very, very uh, effective, which is called scaffolding. And I'll give you the example of, you know when you're uh, teaching your kid to ride a bike and you start off and they've got the stabilizer wheels on, and you take the stabilizer wheels away what you don't do is just kind of push them off from the back and kind of wave at them because it will be a disaster what you do is you hold the saddle and you hold the handlebars and you run alongside them then the next stage is you just hold the back of the saddle and they're managing the handlebars for themselves then the next stage is you're running alongside them but you're not holding onto the bike and finally you kind of wave them goodbye Um, that is a kind of scaffolding technique. It's allowing the individual to try something out in such a way that if it goes wrong, it's not gonna damage their confidence or do too much damage to their people or the business. And you know, we can give an example of uh, companies where we've worked with managers that have wanted their line managers to take responsibility for making decisions around reward, remuneration, bonuses. You don't just give them a pot of money and say, off you go. First stage is you give them a theoretical budget and you ask them to talk through how they would go out distributing it. And. What would happen then if this person wasn't happy how would they handle it what about in six months time when that person leaves and they've got to find the money to bring in someone who's new and more expensive so you get them to deal with scenarios theoretically then you give them a small budget and you get them to try it out with a small number of perhaps less controversial employees you bring them back together again you ask them how did that feel what did they learn what would they do differently so they're learning from each other and finally, you give them the budget. And, you know, is that time consuming? Yes, it is. But it's a damn sight less time consuming than continuing to have to be the ones that distribute paid bonuses and uh, on behalf of line managers. So, you know, if, if we believe our role is to improve the capability of line managers, then we have to look at a slightly more sophisticated approach mm. to getting them mm. confident.
1: And I know a lot of people will be saying, what about fairness and consistency what's your what's your kind of take on that
0: well yeah we hear this a lot don't we you know well we can't possibly allow these poor employees that are being led by poor managers to suffer Um, and so we've got to do it for them I think we're I think we are perpetuating this poor management by doing that let's be honest if you're being led by a poor manager your experience is pretty rubbish rubbish anyway so you know, I do think that we kind of need to expose these poor managers a bit. And if they actually see the, the team members see that their their friends and their colleagues in other areas of the business are being given more flexibility, that, are, that they are being uh, given greater levels to interpret the rules, um, then they'll soon start making more demands of their managers. Whereas at the moment, we're kind of propping them up. So, you know, I think we've got to be honest and realise that, you know, they're experiencing um, a pretty negative uh, experience of working with their line manager anyway um, and actually by continuing to compensate for them we're not doing them any favours.
1: And what about the manager that says, even the good managers that just say, um, I I need to have the policy, I need to have it written down because I want to treat all of my people the same? Is that possible in this day?
0: Yeah, so, you know, we we do need to help line managers understand that equality is not the necessarily... And and inclusion doesn't necessarily equate to treating everybody the same. Mm -hmm. Actually, what we're trying to do is to create an equality of experience. We're trying to uh, create an inclusive inclusive environment where... um, I feel recognised, you feel recognised, I feel valued, I'm allowed to work in a way that's uh, flexible and meets my needs, as are you. But our two experiences and how we get there could be very different. So I might want to feel recognised and valued by um, being given lots of thank yous and given plenty of time off. And you might feel valued and recognised by being given a bit of extra cash because that's what you desperately need. If we are able to help managers think about the outcomes that they want to achieve rather than deploying a consistent process, mm. then I think we're able to ensure that they can interpret the rules whilst still ensuring a quality of opportunity and experience. Yeah, that's
1: good. And what about um, communicating? So what's your kind of view on the on the handbook itself or... Yeah, I
0: mean, I, I don't have too much experience on this. I mean, I think that my sense is that it should be more of a welcome document. Yeah. Than, um, but you've done more work on this than I have. Yeah, I, I have.
1: I think that what we're seeing now is much more around it being, it's a much more of a marketing document, actually, um, in terms of being a real sales tool for attracting people to come and work for you. And I think when you can have a handbook that's much more around statements that really live and breathe your culture i think that's really attractive to employees and what
0: would you do then would you include the um the policies the maternity policy the annual leave policy would you have
1: where would you yeah i always have this question from clients i what i would do is always have you know your statements of you know how things work around here and that might be working day it might be you know the non-dress code or the expenses policy whatever it might be in terms of statements and then often we have the bit that says um you know and these are things that we do to support families and there would be a link to kind of some of the policies you just mentioned things like maternity parental leave etc and then there's the final one that says if things should go wrong and it's a statement that says we always trying to resolve things without reverting to a formal process, but if we ever have to, here they are, you know, so that you know that the people know that you're thinking about keeping the organization safe, but also to protect employees. So it's not doing away with it, like you said at the beginning, it's not anarchy, but it's keeping it much more in the kind of background, the kind of, if you ever have to look at this and we hope that you don't, <laughs> here it is. So you're yeah. kind of, so it's a, a bit of both, I think, but very much a, a sales document, if you like.
0: So in summary, think about the fact that your rules and policies, whilst they might be necessary, they they really do matter in terms of the experience. So how are you going to use this as part of marketing who you are and the experience that you want your people to have? Make sure that the underpinning assumption is adult to adult. We trust you to use your judgment. We trust you to behave in a decent way. And ask your people which are the rules and policies that currently frustrate, because it may be that you're just missing something. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.